Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome to Bears Over Beers. I'm Jeff Burkus, a writer from Lady City Gridiron, and I'm joined on the other line by EJ Snyder, the site's lead draft analyst. EJ, how's 3-1 feel? 3-1 feels a whole lot better than where we could have been, and I'm pleased as all get out. I think marching into London, this is a great place to be. Yeah, 3-1 at the quarter pole feels pretty good. I think you would have taken that if we would have offered it at the beginning of the year. Obviously, 4-0 would have been great. But, uh, you know, going to Denver and a couple of divisional games against tough opponents, I think 3-1 feels pretty good. So we'll get into the Vikings recap in a second. But want to talk about beers first. And, and I, I've got a special drink tonight. Uh, but I'm going to let you f- uh, share with the crowd first of what you're drinking. Oh, excellent. Uh, well, I went back to a theme after last week. I had a non-themed beer. Um, I went out and got one from an Oregon brewery, which I know you will recognize, uh, Rogue Brewing. Sure. And I have their Dead Guy Ale because that's kind of how I felt about Dalvin Cook by the end of the Bears game. Um, <laughs> guy that came in just absolutely tearing it and rushing, looking like he might actually be challenging for the rushing leadership of of the league by the end of the year and runs into the bears defense and they run right back into him. And by the end of the game, he did not look like a guy that wanted to be there. So, uh, in honor of Dalvin cook's encounter with the bears defense, which is playing at a historic and somewhat legendary level. I've got dead guy ale from rogue. Yeah. Dalvin cook came in leading the league in rushing. I don't know where he's ranked after this week, but too bad for his plans that he has to play the Bears twice because uh, they shut him down. So what I did was I saw this bottle of alcoholic beverage months and months ago, and it's expensive. And it's not necessarily <laughs> something that is like in my wheelhouse. But I said, you know, if we beat up on the Vikings, I've got to buy this thing. So it is a bottle of honey wine, Nordic honey wine. With, oh. with hibiscus and hops added. And the name what? is Viking Blood. Oh, well, how appropriate. And so I thought, yeah, I got to drink the blood of a vanquished foe here. So um, I, I I bought this, um, and I think it maybe it'll keep uh, for week 17. I don't know. Uh, I'll have to look into how long it keeps after I pop the top. But I'm going to drink a little bit of it tonight. So let's get these going. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, wine is not really my thing. I was going to say, is it like a mead? Well, I, it must be a mead, but it's not. It is not carbonated, so I don't know. Actually, I don't know really anything about mead more than I've had some that are carbonated and then some that 
maybe aren't as carbonated. So this sure. I th- they're labeling this as a wine, and I think that's because it's not carbonated. So mm. um, it's yeah. I, I mean, I I would I would have said that the Vikings would have drank mead. Which would have carbonation in it. So, eh, whatever. Um, it's uh, it's <laughs> technicality. I bought it for literally for the name and for the joke because oh, yeah. that's how much I care about the listeners. I, I'm, I'm willing to spend a little bit too much money just to make one joke. I, I think that's a worthy quality to have as a podcast host. Well, it's a little sweet, just like our victory. Uh, but I, uh, I'm okay with it. It's it's uh, it's it's pretty warm going down. It's actually 19% alcohol. Uh, so I don't know what a, I don't know what wine is. Again, I don't drink wine, so yeah. Um, we'll see. We'll see how this works. We'll see. We'll see how the podcast goes too. Might might get quite cheery by the end. You might have to take over. I don't know. We'll see what happens. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's recap this game. So the Bears beat the Vikings sixteen to six. I just want to call back to last week's show when I said it was going to be sixteen to nine. I was very close, uh, but I. Uh, underestimated this Bears defense. So stellar performance by the Bears defense overall with key contributions from Bears backups. Uh, Nick Williams had a great game. Nick Kwiatkowski had a fantastic, phenomenal game. Chase Daniel had a fantastic game, at least a fantastic half, and then did what he had needed to do in the second half. Um, I, I was just overall really impressed with these uh, backups coming in and playing like starters. I think we could probably talk about a few others and, and we'll do so, but big picture before we get into some of the topics for discussion, anything that you want to talk about up at the top? The Bears defense I mentioned right off the top and they're getting some press, but I, I don't know that they're getting the press that they deserve. And if you look at the rushing totals that they've allowed, uh, in the first four weeks, they've certainly not allowed a 100-yard rusher. 90 yards is the closest anybody got, but two of the other totals are 40-something and 30-something from this last week. And I saw the stat that through the first four games of the 1985 season, which, of course, is the, the sort of gold standard of Bears' defensive performances, they'd allowed uh, 69 points, uh, and to this point, they've allowed 45, I think. And considering how much the rules have changed in favor of the offense since 1985, that's staggering. When I say historic, I really do mean not hyperbolic. Like, it's historic. Yes. And that's, I don't think there's quite enough attention being paid to how good they're playing. Everybody knows they're suffocating. Everybody knows they're winning the Bears games right now. But I don't think a lot of people are focusing on just how how dominating they're being and that was probably my takeaway is that at no point really did it feel like the vikings were going to win this game there were points where i thought well they could come back they could tie it up but i never felt like "Uh uh-oh they're getting loose they're going to win this game the bears had their you know foot on the proverbial neck of the vikings from very early on and it never felt like they let that pressure up and that was really impressive yeah, and that's this is not on our script, but I want to talk about it because this is one of the things that was really bothering me coming into the year, which was everybody kept saying, well, the Bears' defense will regress, and this is this, and it's like, that is not how you use the word regression. Like, there, there are <laughs> runs of units, you know, offensive and defensive units throughout time that have been able to maintain a level of stellar play. And and actually, what you refer to, you refer to the eighty-five defense as the gold standard. That's true, but statistically, the eighty-six defense was better. And 
from a SAC standpoint, and this is off the top of my head, so forgive me if I'm wrong, but I think the 84 team actually set the record. And so that 84, 85, 86 run was this phenomenal defensive run. That can happen. Now, it's not all the time, and a lot of times you'll, you'll see variants bop up and down. But it is possible to have a defense sustain success. And that's what I kept saying throughout the offseason was, we don't know what bringing in Chuck Pagano is going to do. We don't know what a fully healthy Mac is going to look like. We don't know what Roquan Smith taking us into his second year. Or we don't know if Hicks is going to fall off. Or if anybody behind him is going to uh, emerge. We, we don't know these things. You can't say that they are going to regress just because you've looked at a bunch of data points and for the most part people come back down to earth. That's not how regression necessarily works. Like It's just bothers me from a statistical standpoint but um that being said this team absolutely looks like they have taken the next step from where they were last year and they're just not getting all of the turnovers that the the bears defense was getting in 2018 but they're certainly starting to rack up sacks and some of those balls are starting to come out and come and go into the hands of bears defenders and so i i don't know man this is really fun i was not nervous at all that entire game and that yeah it, it <laughs> didn't weird. look like at any point they were gonna let them go or do or get away with anything and that kind of complete suffocation is not something we're really familiar with in the modern nfl somebody almost always you know it's, it's like basketball they always make a run right somebody always gets loose for a long touchdown somebody always you know racks up three, four, five field goals, even if they're not moving the ball. And the fact that they're allowing, you know, six and nine and uh, single digit points in this era is, it is eye opening. And I'm with you. Their regression is happening, but um, it's happening in Denver. We could talk about that <laughs> a little bit later on. Right. So they just missed the target. They were right about where regression, well, you know, that regression was going to occur, but it's occurring in a different city. And, um, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the Bears actually have one more interception this year than they did at this point last year. Now, that pace sped up as they went along. Um, But I think they have six this year and had five last year, or five this year and had four last year at this point. It's one of those those things where you're trying to track team stats, right? It's like, do you take the yearly total and divide it by 16 and say, well, this is the pace? Or do you say, well, in game three, they did this, so this is what you have to do to keep up. So um, depending on which way you look at it, yeah, definitely. Yeah, but they're even, they're, you know, they're better than the 85 defense in uh, points allowed, yards allowed, and they have uh, uh, more sacks uh, currently uh, than the 85 team did. And, you know, right. Yeah. By one. And it's, that's crazy. Cause everybody looks back and, and the 85 defense, I, I saw them play. I was alive and a Bears fan at that point. And it felt the same way. They just didn't let teams up. They didn't give them any air and it never really felt like a lot of them had a chance. There were some games that season, obviously they didn't go undefeated, but in general, that's the feeling you got very early on in the game is they're just going to them and you know the outcome is not necessarily decided but it's going to be an uphill battle all day long if they're going to do anything you know you you bring up an interesting point but i kind of want to 
So if you said like, well, how much is a dollar worth? You know, how much is a nineteen thirty dollar worth today? Right? You, know, you yeah. go back and you yeah, like yeah. calculate inflation. I feel like <laughs> we need to have an inflation calculator for points. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because it's not necessarily fair to compare points allowed in twenty nineteen to nineteen eighty five, but they're doing it like that. And yeah, that's they're doing kind of it the even better. Thing. I mean, against that curve, and that's even more impressive. And I guess that's the point I'm trying to make is. You know, the, the situation has changed drastically, certainly in the last 10 to 15 years and swung in favor of the offense. Uh, big offensive outputs bring a lot of viewership. The NFL knows it. And, you know, they want to protect players, which means the, the defensive hitting, as we've seen, has declined pretty dramatically um, in terms of what's allowed. Quarterbacks are, are hardly allowed to be touched anymore. It's a very, very different NFL and one geared towards more and more points. And, you know, that would mean, okay, we could give them some inflation and they could allow a few more points than the 85 defense. But they're allowing less despite all that stuff. And that's just crazy. It's phenomenal. Um, all right, let me, let me get to some of my notes. So I, one of the keys to the game was containing Dalvin Cook. He was like, eh, you know, the guy that this this hot – you can't stop him. You can only really just hope to kind of contain him and bottle him up a little bit. Um, no, the the Bears defense stopped Dalvin Cook. He had 14 carries for 35 yards. That is stopping a premier running back. That is just amazing statistic. Yeah, I think his long was like nine yards. So if you take away one carry at nine yards, you know, he had 12 carries for 20-something yards. It's two a clip. It's That's insane for a guy that was averaging his pace coming in yeah he was just met in the backfield with regularity and by not just one guy it was just everybody was getting in on the action everybody was playing the run well and man i let me can i just go to nick williams absolutely go straight to nick williams because he was a big part of it that dude's a beast yeah, he really is. He looks it, and he played it last week. Uh, we saw him at camp, and I was impressed by how much his body had changed. He certainly looked more cut, but he's just, I just have to say this, he's a massive human being. I mean, up top, that guy is a couple of beer barrels strapped together. He is huge, and he played huge on Sunday. It was uh, really, really impressive, and he's picked it up. He's not just stopping the run. He did a great job of that. But he's chipping in sacks as well. This is a guy that had, I think, four career sacks, and he's had you know three in the last couple, three weeks. Uh, he's playing at a very different level. He looks like a changed player. Really impressed with Nick Williams. Yeah, just giant human being and kind of that Bill Parcells. You know, there's only so many people in the universe that are that big. The planet theory. Yeah, yeah. so you just got to get them on your team and see what happens. Um, I don't know if Ryan Pace was thinking that, but no, he, we saw him in camp and we talked about him and it was just like, oh, this guy, I hope he sticks because this guy's looking like he's really shaped his body and boy, it's, it's showed out and he, he, he was impressive. Um, Roy Robertson Harris, I thought, it, it, we've known Roy Robertson Harris has look, been looking good, but like he has continued that play. And he yeah, looks, he's playing like a man possessed. He's he's going to be one of those guys that if he ever does eventually leave the Bears and get a contract, it's not going to be fool's gold. Somebody's going to be getting a real player. Yeah, then that's going to be a, one of those offseason discussions that we'll probably need to talk about. But that's that's one of those players that you hope Ryan Pace can keep in-house because you've, you've developed him. If he does happen to leave, then that's one of those things like, hey, good teams, that happens. And you can't, you know, you can't pay everybody. Can't um, keep them all. But he, boy, he looks really good, and he's a fun player to root for. I, I really like watching him play. 
Um, that so that's on the defensive line. Not to mention, you know, the the guys like Eddie Goldman, the guys that we expect to do well, played really well. But let's let's get to uh, Quickowski because I think it's fair to say that you and I both gave him a pretty hard time on our inside linebackers show. Oh yeah, uh, we rode him hard and sort of put him away wet early in the season. And I I did the game wrap up podcast with uh, Robert Schmitz who's also got a podcast on the Windy City channel and and I gave my open apology to Nick Kurkowski on that one and I'll do it again here because it's it's well deserved I mean the crow is uh, not tasty but it's time to eat it um, and again this game lined up perfectly for Nick's skills but you can't blame him for that and he made a lot of plays he was not out there taking up space he was out there making plays and it was perfect for him he loves to come downhill and hit he loves to play in between the numbers, and the Vikings served that up on a platter, and he cleaned it off for them. He was just destructive, and my favorite piece of, of linebacking from him through the day was the blitz where he hit Dalvin Cook hard enough to put him on skates and decided not to try and go around him because he had it moving so quickly and rather just push him right back into Cousins at full speed. And that was a jaw-dropping piece of pass rush from Nick. It was aggression and timing, and, and yeah, it just capped off what was a tremendous day for him. Yeah, we've seen that a couple times. Like Floyd did that to a tackle, was it Green Bay, or was that week two, but where he just decided that he was going to bull rush, and he just knocked the tackle right back into the quarterback. And um, yeah, We've just seen some really impressive bull rushes, but not it, what I expected from, from Kwiatkowski on that that particular moment and it was just like ah yeah and then nick williams came in and cleaned it up and and uh yeah that was god that was a fun play so many fun defensive plays in this game and a lot of them led by the backups but let's talk about khalil mack destroyer of worlds his tour continues with another 1.5 sacks and he had another forced fumble this guy's unreal four forced fumbles through four games he's got four and a half sacks He's, I mean, we're at the quarter pole, so the math's easy. Um, he's on pace to break the single-season uh, team record for sacks uh, with 18. If he gets it going and has a big game, he could start to maybe flirt with the league record. He's he's amazing. I, we all know that, but, like, he's playing at a level beyond anything that I have seen since Erlacher's defensive MVP year. Is that fair to say? Yeah, you, what you're witnessing with Khalil Mack is what a Hall of Fame player looks like in real time. Uh, you know, 10 forced fumbles in 18 games since he joined the Bears. Uh, you talk about the sack pace. Uh, the thing is, he's not just a sack artist. He's not just a big play artist. He's, you know, crushing guys on the run, stacking up tackles, stacking and shedding, doing fundamental linebacker things on top of an array of pass rush moves that's as good or better than anybody in the league. He can go at you, through you, around you. Um, he can make you ole, give you the ghost rush, not ever get touched, run around and get the guy. They're just as a tackle, you are, you're looking at an assignment that's basically impossible to win. And yeah, he's doing it with consistency and regularity. And we talked about this on the, on the wrap up pod as well. He's figured out that sacking a quarterback is not about hitting the guy as hard as you can, right? You will hit the quarterback early. You will hit the quarterback often. That's old school thinking. Khalil Mack's point is I'm going to get there and I'm going to manage my arc so I can knock the ball loose because that's what I want. That's what my team wants. And that's what I'm going to be the best at. Uh, and that's 
to watch him do that because it's not an accident. He he gets it so that his arm and the quarterback's arm meet and that ball's coming out and we see it. It feels like we see that every single week. Now, stats don't back that up, but he does it so often that it's it's just not accidental. He is the best at that. Well, and it takes us like another level pass rusher to be able to do that because he's doing all that control. Uh, with his body and, and being able to time that swipe. But the thing that I think we're probably trying to say but not saying it quite out loud is that if you're just swiping at the ball, one, it's a better chance for a turnover. Two, we're not getting penalties. Mm-hmm. Because it seems like you kind of breathe on the quarterback wrong and you're getting a penalty. And it's not happening when you, when you have a strip sack. And so uh, I think that it's really smart from a impact play standpoint, but it's also just, it's just smart from a avoiding penalty standpoint. I don't know if that's what's going through his head, but it's certainly a really smart way to approach pass rushing. And, and I think you'll start to, I mean, you made the comment about, it's like the a new version of the peanut punch, uh, just yeah. to get to the receiver yet. And I think in a way, like, Strip sacks from a defensive end or a rush linebacker is not a new thing. I mean, you know, Dwight Freeney did that for a long, you know, plenty of guys. Mm-hmm. The most of the leaders of, of forced fumbles beat, except for Peanut, they're all defensive ends or, or rush linebackers. But um, this this idea of, of trying to go for the ball and not just like try to pop it out with with a with a big hit, I actually do think that that's a little bit of a of an inventive way to approach pass rushing that Khalil Max. I, mean, I want to I want to reach read this one thing I tweeted out uh, yesterday after watching the Raiders last couple games and their kind of sorry pass rush. Since they traded Khalil Mack to the Bears, the Raiders have recorded 18 quarterback sacks. Khalil Mack has recorded 17. He has played in two fewer games uh, than the Oakland Raiders. So uh, he's basically the same as the entire Raiders pass rush. Yep. <laughs> it's that kind of productivity. And when you mix it in with the fact that this is not just a pass rush artist, that this guy is a complete football player and he's not just making those plays, he's dominating in every phase. When they went into the sort of prevent and rushed three guys, Mac was one of those guys and he pulled a legit triple team. The yep. center, the guard, and the tackle all just pivoted and were like, okay, buddy, we're fencing you off. The other two guys, they can try and win one-on-one. But we're putting three – it was a legit triple team. It wasn't – they weren't looking at anybody else. It was, all right, us three versus you, let's go. And he still created a little bit of push. On straight double teams, he's splitting them and hitting the quarterback. That's uncommon talent, just rare levels of athleticism and talent mixed together, and that's what Hall of Fame players look like. Yeah, they had that one play where they focused on it a little bit, but the tight end kind of chipped him on his way out. The tackle and the guard were blocking him, and then the, the running back came in to hit him. And it was like, four guys, you know? And it's like, yeah, yeah. I think that's kind of what you got to do. That's as crazy yeah. as it is. But if you don't, true. you're going to see one of the other stats we talked about, which is a straight sack. Uh, I mean, we haven't even talked about his hurry or his because he's always there. Whether or not he gets home, whether or not he dislodges that ball, He's always there. He's he's not one of these guys that you ever see kind of take rushes off or never make it past the line of scrimmage because he gets locked up. He's always there. And, you know, if they don't do that kind of thing, then you see an impact play, right? That's what it takes just to keep him from making an impact play. Well, it's kind of like, uh, like baseball, like a hitter. There are some 
hitters that'll hit like 40 home runs, but they hit like 200, right? Yep. And and there's there's pass rushers like that. Like they get 10 mm-hmm. sacks, but they don't really defend the run and they don't do a lot else and they kind of take plays off. Mac is a guy that's hitting 60 home runs and he's hitting 390. Like yeah. that's that's what Mac's doing right now. It's it's unbelievable. He's he, yeah. it, it, he's a force. I know we talk about him a lot, but it's worth <laughs> it's yeah. worth the time because we have to appreciate just how good this guy is and this franchise that loves linebackers. I know we all love him, but like realize that, like you say, this is a Hall of Fame in real time. Yeah. All right, let's flip to the other side of the ball. Uh, let's deal with this together. So on the. I don't know, fifth play from scrimmage or something like that. Uh, Mitchell Trubisky got hurt. Uh, there's been, uh, you know, there's there's nothing definitive of how long he'll be out. I was trying to hit back and forth on Twitter with uh, the pro football doc, and he uh, responded to me and said that um, he believed that generally 95% of the time with an injury like this will eventually need surgery uh, yeah. just to clean it up, but that you know being that it's his non-throwing shoulder he can play through it it's just a matter of pain uh tolerance and 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 management managing that pain through this but he for sure is going to be out for a little bit of time so um that's kind of that like let's keep an eye on what that means i want to talk about that for just a minute um because i have some personal experience with this uh not as a quarterback but i've done a lot of nasty things to myself i don't i don't talk much about my personal injury history on the podcast it doesn't come up but i've done a good number of bad things to myself i've i've broken bones i've had surgery uh, i've popped ribs out um fractured my skull like i've done a lot of bad stuff and i subluxed my shoulder kayaking now sublux different than dislocation subluxed is the joint rides up on the rim but it pops back in by itself it never stays out um, and that's what happened to me. My shoulder popped out and popped back in. Um, I, of all the stuff I've done, subluxing my shoulder was one of the most painful things I've ever done. Uh, cause it just mashes a bunch of soft tissue. That's not ever supposed to get touched. I mean, that, that stuff usually floats in space and you're basically smushing it between two bones. Uh, and the other one is that it took longer than anything else to heal than I've, than I've ever done. And that includes my worst stuff. Um, it, it took so long to heal and I was so sure that it was screwed up that I actually had three complete follow-up appointments with different docs and, and sports medicine specialists. I said, there's no way it should continue hurting this long if I didn't, you know, tear something, dislocate something, pull something, rupture something. And all the MRIs came back and said, nope, you didn't do anything. And most of the docs said, look, you just, you know, your body's really, really upset that this happened. But three, four months later, um, it still hurt when I did certain things. And I'm not talking about high stress things like getting hit by a 300 pound guy and driven into the ground. Right. So all these people are like, Oh, we'll be back in two weeks. It's just pain management. I'm like, um, we need to talk about this. Like it's terribly painful when you do that. And I agree that Trubisky is, you know, younger and more limber than I was when I did it. And he has a pro, you know, healing squad at his, at his disposal. But it, this is not a small thing. That shoulder came out, how far it came out and how long it was out. I don't know, but 
yeah, this is not like, oh, yeah, you got a hangnail and we'll clip that off and he'll go right back in. All these people that are think he's going to come back at full strength and be, you know, just like sort of dust your shoulder off and rub some dirt on it, you'll be fine. I'm like, eh, it's not really how it works with shoulders, even when it's not your throwing shoulder. I, I would imagine he didn't sleep for the first night or two. It, it's incredibly painful. Yeah, I, again, we don't need to talk about our personal injury histories too much, but I had a small tear in my rotator cuff in my throwing shoulder, but you know, I'm not throwing footballs uh, with any regularity, <laughs> but, um, and it, I hurt for a really long time and I had to go through like a pretty long period of, of uh, physical therapy to get it back. And that's actually what I, why I asked the question is like, does it require surgery? Because I was able to get through this injury with a lot of physical therapy, but I know a lot of times surgery is the answer when you're, in the professional athlete ranks because it's usually like, well, we're going to fix it. And then, uh, you know, you have time to recover and whatever. So I think it's an off season story to watch, but I also think that if you can recover that with physical therapy, that I would try to do that. Uh, cause I've heard that surgery isn't great, but additionally, like just think about when you're working out or when you're doing different things, your shoulders are some of the weaker parts of your your upper body yeah, it's the weakest joint on the body for sure and so like this is this is not great <laughs> like no it's really it i said to somebody uh after the game after we were talking about it and i said this is literally the worst case scenario because we talked a lot about trubisky before the season a lot of people did and what we most of us that were sort of retaining cooler heads said this is the year we you know, Mitch has to take these games and he is either going to prove well one way or another, he's going to prove what he is. He's either going to prove that he's the answer long-term and that his progression will continue or he won't. And then the bears will know what they have in this case. If he misses time or is really limited when he comes back by the injury, the bears won't know. They have a, a three and a, not even half game, a three and a quarter game sample of what Mitch could do and it wasn't great. And then you're going to have this sort of asterisk or tainted section where he's going to be out for a little bit. He he's going to try and come back. If he takes another hit on that shoulder or somebody lands on or he gets rolled, he's going to be in maddening blinding pain and he's not going to be able to perform at a high level. Quarterback is a very demanding position. So this is the worst case scenario in that it actually probably takes that untainted stretch of work that we wanted to see away from Trubisky and we won't have a good answer. We'll have a sort of an answer with an asterisk and people will always wonder, well, was it the shoulder? And that's really bad. Yeah. It's Robert Mays on the ringer NFL show. They actually titled their episode. Are the bears better with chase Daniel at quarterback? We can mm-hmm. get in, we'll get into that in a second. Sure. Um, but that's exactly what Robert Mays said was, uh, this is the worst case scenario because we, we cannot fully evaluate the, his play this year and make a proper decision at the end of the year of what the best course is to try to capitalize on this defense. Because if he comes back and he's playing in a way that looks like, well, he's pretty limited from the injury, it just it doesn't answer the question. <laughs> and that's We both agree that's what needed to happen here was to answer this question. Yeah. Um, well, let's, let's bring in Daniel. So uh, it's it's Daniel, not Daniels. Uh, mm, uh, although everybody struggles with that. Yes, you are correct. <laughs> and we finally, finally have 
the Daniels to Daniel center quarterback exchange that we all want. Uh, <laughs> and when you say we all, you mean you. I just mean that it's funny. Um, uh, so Chase Daniel comes in. He was able to move the ball quite effectively in the first half uh, and, and put up some points. And, you know, obviously not as not as great in the in the second half. But I, I tell you, he was able to really sustain some drives. He missed some open throws. Yes. Um, those are the throws, by the way, that people will like freak out on Trubisky for missing. Um, but, True. you know, he missed an open one to Miller. Uh, he waited way too long to throw that ball to Tariq Cohen. He, he could yep. hit him early. You and I were probably screaming in unison across the country, throw it, throw it, yeah. throw it. As soon as he passed yes. the line of scrimmage, he was wide open. I was like, what are you waiting for? And then There's when he threw it, I was green. like, no. <laughs> yeah, I was like, why did you wait to try and throw it over somebody? Anyways, we can talk about that later. But, yeah, I thought in general that he was very efficient. He operated the offense. Uh, he kept drives moving, which again, we haven't been seeing with regularity through, through the first three games of the season. He was very accurate and man, does he have a knack for letting that ball go right before he gets touched. He did it time and again, there were probably six or eight times where somebody was in, you know, just half a swipe away from getting a hand on him and he just flicked it out. He put it on target. He let his playmakers run and keep their momentum. And the first, the rest, the balance of the first half was really enjoyable to watch. Um, we just hadn't seen that level of efficiency out of the offense in the early part of the season, and and that part was enjoyable too. It's crazy because a lot of what he was doing was completing those intermediate throws that we watched Trubisky have a lot of success with in the the days at camp that we were there. And so that's what this deep, this offense is really designed for is those intermediate pass plays and then the occasional shot play we just haven't seen any of that in the first three weeks uh we've just seen all this like lateral stuff to the outside and a lot of checkdowns. and so it was fun to watch him operate the offense he does not have a super high ceiling that's very clear the guy's an 11th year pro he's he's absolutely deserves to be in the spot he is he's um competent but he doesn't have this huge ceiling or else someone would have given him a shot to, to run the whole show, right? So, you know, there, there's not a 50-point explosion in that right arm of Chase Daniel, but can this guy be a, a good caretaker of this offense with this stellar defense on the other side? I mean, I, I think he can be. Where, where, are you, where are you coming down on that? The defense is going to make a lot of what happens on offense look good, and football is a team game, and they do those two units do play off and support each other in very direct ways. My worry with Daniel is really sort of a microcosm of what we saw against the Vikings. He can come in and be very effective. He can operate the offense. He's efficient. He doesn't panic. That's all great. He's not going to be able to push the ball down the field. That's not his strength. And once defenses get some tape on him, and defensive coordinators start to figure out what flusters him, and and that tape exists because he's been around the league for 11 years. He's played a bunch of preseason, played in a few regular season games as well. Once they start to lock down the things he does well and make him go to his second reads, much like what the Bears did against Cousins, the offense stagnated. It really slowed down. Some of that may be play calling, but again, those two things go hand in hand. Nagy's play calling and whoever's running the quarterback position need to be working in tandem and really kind of, again, keeping the foot on the gas. We've talked about this. And once we start to see those defensive adjustments and everybody gets used to the fact that Daniel's going to be back there, can the bears really come up with uh, a creative 
offense that's a combination of set play calls that work and a rhythm of things that you know Daniel does second best because again defenses are going to key off on the things that he does first best and take those away just like the Bears did with Dalvin Cook and is there any momentum there and I worry about that it happened really quickly in the in the Minnesota game right Minnesota came out made some second half adjustments and the offense slowed considerably and, and really ground to kind of a halt and is that going to happen over the course of the season? And history says it probably will with Daniel. Um, that's, again, why he's never been handed the starter's mantle. Uh, can he be a caretaker? Yeah. Is the defense going to win him some games? Sure. When he needs to make a play, I even think about the play to, to put him in field goal range in, in Denver. You know, does Daniel make that play? to get that long pass yeah, down the field. Not. And I'm like, eh, maybe, but it would have been a lot tighter and less assured. And it was already pretty tight. So does that play happen? The answer is probably not. And they don't win the Denver game. So that's the level of talent difference we're talking about. And a lot of people are like, Oh, their bears are fine with Daniel the rest of the way. And I'm like, um, you don't read history much, do you? Um, you know, I don't think that's a foregone conclusion. He can be a fine, uh, mover and an efficient operator of the offense. But when, when isolated and asked to win something, I don't really want to put my money on Chase Daniel. No, and I think going against the Raiders defense, I think that he hopefully can still find some success. Uh, if we're talking about him against what looks like a really good Saints defense, um, a talented Chargers defense, you know, yeah, let's let's deal with that one if and when yeah, we need to. cross that bridge when we come to it. Um, it'll be interesting. We'll, we'll get in a little bit more in our Oakland preview about Chase Daniel and, and the rest of this offense. But uh, there, there's just two more things that I, I added on myself that I wanted to touch on real quick before we, we take a break and, and switch to the next game. And The first one is explosive plays and something that I've tracked a lot in the past and, and talked about a lot. Um, you know, Again, we're at the quarter pole. Explosive plays on defense. This defense is phenomenal. They have only given up four explosive runs and 11 explosive passes. And a lot of those explosive passes they've given up, I think, are you know garbage time, if, if you will. Um, sure. On the flip side, this offense has produced four explosive runs and nine explosive passes. It is not good. Like, this Mm-mm. offense is bottom five unit for that particular stat the defense is top five unit for what they've been able to control and so um generally when you're talking about things like explosive plays and turnovers you talk about the differential and you talk about you know what you give up and what you get and the difference between those and you want that number to be obviously quite positive the explosive plays it's basically zero it's, it's yeah, like even as good as that defense is, the offense is just as bad. And so that's something to keep watching because this is not good. I, I, I mean, I think we both really like Montgomery, but, man, he's just not breaking out. I mean, that was a lot of carries to not have anything that was explosive. Um, you know, he needs to get – he needs to have first contact be that second level on a couple carries a game. He can't be met at the line every single time. So – um, this will be it'll be interesting something something to track and the other thing I just want to say is all this stuff about Roquan you and I as a fan have no right to know what's going on if he doesn't want to share it if the team doesn't want to share it let yeah. them deal with it like that, that is that is they say it's a private matter or a personal matter 
let that happen. Let him figure things out. Cheer for him when he gets back. You don't. No one has a right to know what's going on if they want to keep that secret. So I, I have no problem with how the Bears are handling this. I think there's some really bad takes out there of people that think that they deserve to know. We're not talking about elected officials and why they're not showing up for a vote on the Senate floor or something. Like We're talking about you know, a person that plays a game that is obviously going through something and needs to deal with it. Let him deal with it. Yeah, I fully support that take, and I've seen some, yeah, like you said, some utterly horrible garbage about what someone who roots for a team deserves. And the bottom line is they don't, right? And this is a guy that, again, yeah, he plays sports for a living, and, and you know, that's a high-consequence enterprise in this country, and I understand that. He gets paid a lot of money to do it. I understand that, too. But we're also talking about a really young guy. Like, Roquan was young when he came out. He's one year into the league. And, you know, his life's very different now. He's, you know, moved from Georgia to Chicago. He's, uh, you know, he's starring on a franchise that uh, has a a long history and a lot of expectation this year. Like, his, his life circumstances have changed dramatically, as many people do when they, you know, graduate college and go on to do something different. And, and lots of things happen. And again, we don't know. We don't deserve to know. And yeah, my my take is the same as yours. Give it a break. Give the guy a rest. Give him some space. It's not, what does it help if you know, right? Are you going to fly to Chicago and be the shoulder for Roquan to lean on for whatever particular issue he's in face? No, it, it has no bearing on your life whatsoever. Now, agreed, it's a bummer if he doesn't play, but that is so secondary to somebody being healthy, and I mean mentally or physically healthy. So, yeah, give the guy some breathing space. Lay off. When, when and if he feels like playing football, we'll know. And until then, look, the Bears' backups performed really, really well, and, yeah, you're going to want to know after a while, but give the guy a little bit of space and let him work through this. Yep, 100%. So. Um, well, another win for the Bears, 3-1, and one, feeling pretty good at the quarter pole. Um, before we uh, close the books on this particular win, any last words you want to say about the Vikings? Uh, I'm glad, uh, and this is with deference to Ted Glover, who was our guest for the preview show and, and did a great job. He's a very informed fan, and I felt for Ted several times throughout the game, but I'm really glad that I'm not a Vikings fan, not because I hate the Vikings, but because Kirk Cousins is their quarterback. And Kirk Cousins is is what Donald Rumsfeld referred to as a known known, right? Everybody knows what Cousins is and what he can do, and more importantly, what he can't or won't do. And the bottom line is if, if you get Kirk Cousins off schedule, like nothing good will happen. And it's not that hard to get him off schedule. And that's just an empty feeling uh, as, a, as a Vikings fan, I'm sure, because, you know, yeah, you paid the guy a lot of money. I understand that. Contracts are always inflating. League value is going up. You know, $84 million is $84 million. I get it. But the next three contracts are going to be you know bigger than that and bigger still. But the bottom line is you've got a guy at the most important position on your football team that basically gives you no chance to win when the chips are down. You know, he's going to win one out of 25 of those and that that's not what a winning franchise needs and it's a very helpless feeling to say we've invested in this guy we've got a ton tied up in him they're not going to move on from him but he's not going to win either 
And you just kind of have to sit and wait it out. And as Bears fans, trust me, with quarterbacks, we're fully aware of what that feels like. And it's it's pretty darn horrible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you don't mind it when your rival franchises take uh, a bad contract on. Uh, but, hey, yeah, you do feel a little bit bad for, for well-informed and, and solid fans of, of franchises that have to root for that. Uh, but, you know, uh, if it keeps them down, it keeps them down. So let's uh, <laughs> let's take a so quick. Says the guy says the guy swilling Vikings blood is drinking Viking this. blood. Yeah. Yes. Um, all right. Well, let me pour a little bit more Viking blood to prep for the second half of the show, and we'll be back on the other side of this commercial break. All right, EJ, we're back. Uh, let's get into this Oakland game. So obviously, there's a lot of Khalil Mack stuff going on this week. The Bears are going to be playing the Raiders in London, so it's a neutral site game. Uh, but let's just kind of talk about the Raiders season so far. So they come into this one 2-2. Two and two. They won their home opener against the Broncos, 24-16. to 16. Uh, You know, the Broncos haven't been very good yet. Uh, obviously, we, we played the Broncos in Week 2, uh, faced the elements more than anything. But, um, you know, it's a win uh, for them. They dropped their second game in Kansas City, not surprisingly, 28-10. Uh, Mahomes had that great second quarter. I think he put up all four of those touchdowns in the second quarter, and then they just kind of bled the clock out. Uh, followed that by traveling to Minnesota and getting absolutely destroyed 34-14 to against Dalvin Cook. Uh, last week, uh, they surprisingly went into Indianapolis, a team that I thought was, like, not terrible, um, and they got out in front early. And they just never looked back. They just it never really was a competitive game. It was never as close as the thirty-one to twenty-four final score looked. They just they got out in front. And they just kind of sat on it. Uh, book on Oakland. I in the past had been that they look like a bad road team, but you know that they would be competitive at home at least. Uh, but beating a Colts team that again I thought was pretty solid. It gives me a little bit more pause about that narrative. Uh, obviously, this game's in London which is a neutral site. I, I've always considered these neutral site games uh, to be road games for both teams because, sure, you know, why, why would anybody, it doesn't matter if you're wearing the home jersey or the away jersey. And so I was kind of thinking this gave the, the Bears a pretty nice advantage. But, again, I'm, I'm, I'm pausing a little bit because they did pounce on the Colts quick and, and were able to kind of control that game. And so... I, you know, we've got some keys. I just want to say, before we get into that, there's going to be a lot of focus on the Mac stuff, which there should be. And then there's also that uh, draft pick compensation. This is one of those games where, you know, we want the Bears to win, obviously. We also want Oakland to lose a lot of games because that increases the value of the second-round pick that's coming back this year. So this game has a pretty big impact from a draft perspective as well. Uh, and so it's kind of interesting that... For those of us that like to think about the draft capital, we want to stack as many losses on Oakland as possible to make that gap between the two picks as small as possible. So that's also another thing to just consider. Like, there's a little added bonus to winning this game. Um, anything you want to think of or want to talk about big picture before we get into the keys? Yeah, I don't worry as much about it as you do for a couple of reasons. The, the one common, uh, you know... Most recent common foe, the Vikings, right? The Vikings shellacked the Raiders, and the Bears just wiped the floor with the Vikings with backups. That's that to me, and and again, 
the it's any given Sunday and the weeks are all different and whatever else. The Colts team also does not have a great defense. They have some great defenders. They have a couple of, I, I would say about three highlight defenders on that defense, but they do not have a great team defense and they do not have a pass rush that looks anything like the bears. So what Oakland was able to do against Indy is not, I would say, likely repeatable against a Bears team that is playing at an extremely high level in the front seven. And, you know, uh, I think Dan Orlovsky um, posted something saying, hey, you know, PSA to, to open fan bases and saying, whenever your team plays the Bears, just kind of chuck everything out the window. It's not representative they're smashing everybody, right? Don't assume that you're going to be able to do whatever it is that you did before when you're playing Chicago this year because they're just turning everybody into smushed grapes, right? And so I think we can look at an Oakland team and say, oh, they had some success against a team we thought was pretty good but doesn't feature a ton of firepower on the defensive side. And you know that might typically give you a little pause in this particular case with the Bears coming in with this defense playing at this level, really not taking any kind of break when they're missing both their defensive ends and their star middle linebacker. I'm like, mm, their car's going to be in for a long day, whether it's in London, Oakland, Las Vegas, Chicago, doesn't matter. Yeah, it's a good point. And Darius Leonard for the Colts was out of that game, so that's that's a pretty big blow to that defense yep. um he's one of those three for sure yeah absolutely so so let's let's actually talk about that Derek Carr point so I think one of my, my first key for this game is can the Bears attack the underneath throws that Derek Carr is going to want to throw uh get 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 the ball out of his hand quickly um just to avoid this rush when I when I watch Carr play I think the Raiders use a lot of underneath stuff uh they like to put Carr on the move he he uses a lot of play action he uses a lot of boots he had a lot of time in that Colts game, like you, you talked about. He's not going to have that time against the Bears. Um, and so, you know, what what do the Bears do to try to take away that underneath game and try to maybe pick one of those balls off and, and create a couple turnovers? I, I had read some stuff, uh, some interviews with Carr, some stories on Carr over the years, and what I gather from his approach to football is he watched his brother who's like pretty like a, a significant amount of years older than him, uh, David Carr. And David Carr came in with the Texans and just got absolutely beat up, you know, set records for sacks, the amount of sacks that he took, and the Texans just didn't didn't protect him. Kind of like Deshaun Watson. Um, and and so um, he just like just racked up the sacks. So he's like, a, you know, he's a kid, and he's watching his brother just get like beat up, and it like made him really mad. And so when you watch – when you watch Derek Carr, it, it does seem like he just does not want to take sacks, which I, makes sense. But he will rush his throws to, to, to make sure that he's not taking sacks. And so mm-hmm. with this Bears rush, it has to probably be already in his head. I'm, I'm curious to see what can the Bears defense do to take advantage of that from Carr. One thing is to limit the, like you said, they like to move car a lot, moving pocket, rolling pocket, rolling boots, um, sprint outs, all the all the typical edge motion stuff that a lot of people, quite frankly, interestingly enough, have su- suggested as a benefit to Trubisky mm-hmm. to try and get him in rhythm because he throws so well on the move. So similar in fashion there, but 
again, when you have Floyd and Mac, two very rangy outside linebackers who are both, um, you know, Floyd's got incredible length and Mac is just quick as all get out. They're going to be able to provide that kind of pincher that says, nope, you're not going outside of me. And if you do, you're going to have to go really deep to do it. You're going to have to take a 10 or 12 yard drop to get by my rush. And then, you know, it's on. I'm going to be chasing you from then on. So you're going to be harried. And again, that capacity or that tendency to get rid of the ball quickly to avoid sacks, those aren't going to be good focused set platform throws, right? So taking away that sort of outside ability to move and get wide is going to be one thing. And then if you've watched the Bears pass rush, which you have for the last four weeks, they create very quick pressure right there's very few times where it's over three three and a half seconds without somebody's getting really close and i've got to move or i've got to do something i've got to dump this ball off so car's not going to have a ton of time to make those choices and his tendency to want to get rid of it a little bit early or kind of have those yips is going to shorten that time even further and when he knows that he's not going to be able to get outside with regularity against mac and floyd he's going to start to feel a little bit cornered and trapped and Carr is not great at standing in the pocket and delivering exactly what we saw chase daniel do early in the time he came into the bears game right he did a great job of sort of standing there pivoting setting his feet and just delivering a quick throw to to somebody that was open working through his progressions Carr is not that kind of quarterback so i think he's going to have a long day because because of all those factors rolled together. I think what the bears are doing right now, if they just continue to do it against uh, the Raiders, they're going to be pretty good. The Raiders offensive line is not that great. And on the flip side, the Raiders defensive line, as you mentioned, is not creating a ton of pass rush. So Daniel on, on the other side of the ball is going to have more time to do those kind of things. And we've seen with time, he's, he's pretty deadly. He, He gets the ball out quickly and where it needs to go. So again, I think if you're sort of looking at a, plus minus or how the how the alternate units stack up most of those if you're putting little check marks in those columns you know before the game and saying which units are stronger on which team most of those check marks are going to go to the bears well let's continue on your point because i've got my second key is actually chase daniels so last year he he had two starts as what well, you know he had two starts last year this is gonna, it wasn't a start last week but let's like kind of just say it was because it sure uh you know, he played played most of the game basically the whole game so last year his second start he really laid an egg in new york and if you know it's one of those where you think about wow geez if we would have got that one that would have been 13 and 3 we would have had the tiebreaker with the rams we would have the number two seed i play those games in my head all the time it's not healthy <laughs> you shouldn't do it not um, healthy <laughs> it's not healthy you know but but like he put himself in a hole with an early pick six, and it's like he we just never recovered from that. And yeah. you know, and and the Giants, you know, pulled out that crazy BS where they, you know, Beckham threw a touchdown pass to like a third string tight end. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, they pulled out every trick that they had. And, you know, hats off to them, I guess. But like. Um, <laughs> you were the most begrudging fan I just, for, for opposing franchise ever. God, I, I just it. hate the Giants. But um, so my concern is with, with Daniel is that is maybe it's not a concern. What I see from Daniel is that I see a guy that can move the chains and sustain mm-hmm. some drives, which is fantastic. I like that a lot. That works really well with a great defense. What I'm a little worried about is can he convert 
some of those drives that's kind of come into the red zone and just kind of peter out? Can he convert those, you know, field goal drives into into touchdowns? And, you know, how many of those field goal drives need to be touchdowns against the Raiders? Maybe not a lot, you know, but once we get further down the road, uh, you know, we're definitely going to want to see that turn into more touchdowns. So, so my second key to the game is, you know, how many of those sustained drives that look like they would potentially peter out to be field goals, how many of those can he convert into touchdowns? That's, that's my mm-hmm. key, number two to key. Yeah, I think, again, with the lack of Raiders pass rush, and Chase Daniel made a really good point in his postgame presser, which was, I face the best defense in the league every day in practice. When I see a really good defensive unit like the Vikings, it's not that big a deal. In fact, you know what he didn't say, but what was unspoken is, I actually have a little bit more time than I usually do, so this is fine. And the Raiders are not anywhere near the Vikings' level on defense. They've got a lot of young talent. It hasn't all come together yet. And I don't think scheme-wise uh, they are you know, the equal to somebody like Mike Zimmer, who definitely knows how to dial up a pressure or two. And so Daniel is going to be, if anything, relaxing a bit. He's going to have plenty of time. And he's quite dangerous in that role. If you're not getting Daniel flushed out of the pocket not asking him to make crazy 25, 30-yard you know, throws down the field on the run, which is not his strength. He's just not that guy physically. He's a pretty good distributor in the pocket. We saw that early when he took over. And if he continues to do that, I think we'll see some better plays. I really wish the Bears um, had an option at tight end that was a little bit more dynamic than than Burton in terms of the offenses that operate very well with guys like that usually have an option in the middle of the field that can create some mismatch. And Burton made some good catches last last week. It was nice to see him show up a little bit and help move the chains. But when you have a Travis Kelsey or a Zach Ertz or some of those top tight ends, um, Evan Ingram's having a great season for the Giants. We talked about the Giants. It it changes things for those middle linebackers. They need to, they need to look at that differently. And, and Daniel is the kind of quarterback that would be throwing balls to that kind of receiver. And the bears don't have that, but I think he'll be good. The red zone be interesting to see what gets dialed up play wise, play choice wise too, because I think Montgomery definitely has a role there. I think Tariq Cohen absolutely has a role there because he's such a versatile weapon and a guy like Javon Wims, who made a catch last week and could use that, you know, big frame of his and box somebody out one on one. Daniel's not a throw, not afraid to throw that fade up there. So there are options, but what's Nagy going to call when they get sort of tightened up down in the red zone, and and will that work in concert with how Daniel's playing? Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's. Uh, well, first of all, when you were talking about that, it kind of reminded me of like Nick Foles, mm-hmm. which is why I didn't understand why Jacksonville went out and got him but didn't get him a tight end. Mm-hmm. It's because that's the kind of guy that needs a tight end. And so yeah. I think you're right. I mean, I, I don't necessarily think he's quite at Nick Foles' highs because Nick Foles has had, obviously, some very high highs. But uh, I think you're right. That's the type of guy that can really use as kind of safety blanket over the middle. Um, but the third key that I have, is, you mentioned it, but David Montgomery, I loved how many carries he got. I didn't. And it's a good Vikings defense, so take that for what it is. Um, but can he find some running room against a fairly middle-of-the-pack run defense 
that the Ra- that the Raiders are uh, have this year so far. I, I just I want to see more results from the carries that he's getting. I want to see a couple of chunk runs uh, like he had to put away, uh, <clears throat> you know, the third game of the year. So um, that that's kind of that's kind of what I'm looking for um, from Montgomery. What what did you see in terms of Montgomery versus the Vikings that gave you hope or pause or what, what do you expect to see out of him against the Raiders? I expect to see more largely because of the point you mentioned. The Vikings defense is very good. We talked about this in the preview. They have a ton of first rounders on that defense. They've got good players at every level. Um, there are very few sort of no names on that defense. They've got very athletic linebackers and Kendrickson Barr. Um, both of those guys made plays throughout the game. Linval Joseph is a is a stud against the run, almost on the level of a guy like Eddie Goldman. Uh, you know, those are those are very good players. Their ends are excellent. So there's not a ton of room to run against the Vikings. And as a team that you know kind of comes off the bus running with Dalvin Cook, they're very very used to sort of seeing an offense that does that and stopping it, and that has real benefits for their defense. Raiders defense not. At the same level, certainly with talent that the Vikings defense is, also doesn't seem to play um, just from the little I've watched as cohesively um, as the Vikings do. They have a, a great pride in sort of team tackling and everything else. Raiders are a little bit more one on one for matchups, and you know we need to talk about it. Even though I really don't like the guy, Vontez Burfict is a very good run stopper. He's a dirty player, and I'm very glad that he got suspended. I don't think he should be. Right. allowed to return to NFL play. He's had, you know, 13 or 14 disciplinary incidents. I think that's well more than enough to say you don't get to do this for a living anymore. You don't get to go out and hurt people. Um, but, you know, bottom line is as a football player, he's a bit like Nick Wachowski. He's not a great coverage guy, but he will come downhill and stop the run. He's not going to be there. That's a hole for their defense to get used to. Right. So I think you'll see more room for Montgomery and the the kind of runs I think Montgomery is going to have the best um, the production on or the best efficiency from. The run that comes to mind is the one in Washington where he kind of ran right up to the line. There was nothing there. The Washington defensive line is fairly stout. A lot of good players there. And he basically just kind of stopped. Now, he didn't flat stop. No good running back ever just flat foot stops. He kept his feet moving, but he just didn't really do anything. He had patience to kind of just sit there and go, hmm, what's going on? The right side opened up, and he sprinted out for about 22 or something like that, 15, 18, 22 yards. Right? He's going to have some more of those runs where the gaps get plugged up. The Bears' O-line has not been blowing huge holes open for their running backs unlike the eagles game if you watch the eagles game where oh oh, man some of those holes were truck wide right it was like jordan howard he's that effective i'm like anybody can run through a hole that's seven yards wide right that's yeah i would have picked up at least a yard and a half right i i would give you a yard and a half through a hole that big the bears the bears offensive line is not opening holes like that but if Montgomery is patient like that, he does have the quicks to change direction, get to the outside, and make a really good gain out of it when everybody gets engaged in that pile. I think we'll probably see a couple more runs like that, or at least I would like to see a couple more runs like that. Because if if the Raiders defenders start coming downhill and get basically caught in the trash, he can get outside. And if it's David Montgomery on a cornerback, 
both with his ability to, you know, force missed tackles or break tackles as a physical runner. I'm going with Montgomery in that battle, and, and we could see some of those big explosive plays that you're looking for out of the running game. Yeah, I think it's the David Montgomery breakout game. That's what I'm. That's what I'm. Calling. I hope so. It would be fantastic, and certainly the the odds say that it might be. Let's let's go that way. All right. Well, those are my three keys. Do you have anything that you want to add? Um, I don't want to see the Raiders, and and this is most teams, but the Raiders uh, as well. Like you said, it's a bit of an odd game. Both teams are sort of visitors. I don't want to see the Raiders get a big play early. Um, the Bears have had some lapses uh, in the secondary, and I would hate for Carr to take advantage of those. They do have some big physical wide receivers, and if one of those guys gets over the top on, say, Prince of Mukara, who's a great press corner, but he doesn't have great makeup speed, if they get behind Prince and, and the safety's late getting over and Carr hits him, you know, it's not going to be great if they go down early. Now, I have faith in the defense. I have faith in Daniel running the offense, but I would not like to see them sort of stake that early lead that they did against Indianapolis. If it turns into a slugfest, I'm absolutely leaning in the Bears' corner because the defense has been very good. And we haven't mentioned him yet, but Eddie Pinheiro came out and looked like he was kicking in practice in the game against the Vikings, considering that he could barely walk with the pinched nerve that he had the week before. That was a tour de force performance. Now, his, his field goals weren't that long. But honestly, it looked like he was kicking in practice. He came out, just stroked him right through the middle, walked off, was like, yeah, no big deal. And with as much as the circus as the Bears' kicking game has been, that's a huge factor. So if we get into a lockdown, lockhorn struggle in London with the Raiders, I'm thinking the Bears win that game, you know, nine times out of ten because they, the defense and the kicking game are going to are gonna just lock down what's left of the Raiders. Well, let's get into why we think this 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 game's going to go the way we think it does. So I'll start off why I think the Bears are going to win this game. Uh, I I even with Chase Daniel starting and you know some backups probably continuing into their starting roles, I, I don't bet against this defense right now. Like until nope. you see otherwise, do not bet against this defense. They are historically good through the first quarter. Let's see if they can continue to keep that pace up, but. This Raiders team, they might be an average football team, that which is more than I expected out of them. That was honestly a compliment. Um, but they're not a good football team yet. And so this Bears defense should be able to take care of business. They should be able to set up Daniel with short fields and with the talent on offense surrounding Daniel. He should be able to play point guard and distribute the ball enough to make enough drives down into Raiders territory. And I, I'm actually going to go with like a 23 to three final. Score. <laughs> it's impressive. I'm not saying it's not going to happen, uh, but it's impressive. And, and we could, we could see it. It really depends on what Daniel is able to do in that point guard role. And does he hit a couple of those bigger plays? Does Montgomery break off a, a run or two? That's, you know, 15 to 20 plus. And quite frankly, does he hit Anthony Miller? Everybody is is jumping on our boy Anthony Miller and saying, hey, why is Anthony Miller sucking? And if you go back and watch the film, um, especially through the first two weeks, but even continuing into week three and week four, Miller has been open. Yep. Like He's been open more than not. Now, he hasn't been Allen Robinson open because Allen Robinson has pr- pretty much been open on just about every rep. And even when he's been covered, he's made the catch. Robinson's playing at a, a at an all world level. 
Anthony Miller has been playing at easily a pro bowl level. He has been open and, and a little bit frustrated. And I'd like to see, uh, Daniel get the ball in his hands a couple of times and see if we can get that yard after the catch, um, production that the offense is really built on. So a little shout out to Anthony Miller. The reason the bears win this game in my mind, Khalil Mack, Mm. um, he's playing at a, at a, absolutely destructive level we talked at length about that in the beginning of the podcast we don't need to revisit that but he's also been refreshingly honest about facing his previous team everybody tries to talk it down no bulletin board material blah 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 mac has not shied away when asked hey does it mean a little more to face your former team he said look i gotta tell you it really does (laughs) i've been looking at this game for a while right Somebody said, you know, is it hard to put down the feelings of vindictiveness that you have for your former team? I don't know if that was today or yesterday. And Max stopped him short and said, vindictiveness. I like that word. Right, right. And I'm like, oh, this just sounds like a guy who is already tearing the arms off the folks he faces. And now he just wants to beat you with them. That He has the (laughs) extra incentive, right, to really tear this team apart and he is motivated to do so and that is a fearsome thought like i if i was the tackle going against him i just don't know what i'd eat for breakfast i, I just don't think there's anything that could help yeah, you and might want to come I, down with a stomach bug the night before right have to miss i don't game. think i can go today coach which would be even better for the bears but i i i literally think he could tear this offense apart um you know, by himself. And he's got a ton of help. We saw a great team effort on defense, which you're always worried about with um, continuity, with with backups coming in and do they know their assignment? How's the communication going to be? And a lot of guys in new roles, are they going to, you know, they're going to leave open gaps. The team approach to stopping the run. And I think that's probably a key against the Raiders. Uh, Their rookie running back, quite good. Uh, Again, going to need to shut that down first and really force the ball into Carr's hands and then keep him contained in the pocket. And if they do those two things, which I think they can, I don't think the Raiders stand much of a chance here. I'll give them six points. Um, Maybe 10. They might sneak a a touchdown and a field goal out of this. But I'd say 10 is the top. 10 is the sort of, you know, 10 and bet the under, I guess. Um, Bears, mm, I would say, uh, I just want the play calling to come together, but I'll say 21. Okay. I'll say they scored, I'll say they scored three touchdowns. Seven, so 21 seven field goals. To, yes, <laughs> better not be. But uh, let's, let's say 21 to – uh, it's twenty-one and nine. I just I don't feel good about them giving up a touchdown. Could happen, but we'll go twenty-one to nine. Well, before I tell you what I think of this drink, I just want to read an Anthony Miller tweet. Uh oh, from nine nine hours ago. So oh, one o'clock one o'clock yeah. today Central Time. He says healthy, period, prepared, period, open, period. Don't uh-huh. get it twisted. And I, he's I he's got that. a great point. Yeah, he's absolutely laying it out as it is. He's saying, "Look, I'm there. I'm on the field. Yeah, I might be wearing a shoulder harness to protect myself, but that doesn't mean I'm not working off the jam. That doesn't mean I'm not running my routes. That doesn't mean I'm not there if the ball comes, and the ball just hasn't come. And that's, you know, there's a bunch of reasons for that. The protection's been okay, um, not great. The offensive line certainly had its issues in in week one, and moving into week two, they cleaned it up a little bit. Last two weeks, they've been I would say good middle of the pack in terms of protection. 
But if you go back and look at those all 22s, he's probably open on somewhere between half and two-thirds of his routes, which for a professional receiver is pretty good. And he just hasn't seen that many targets. The quarterback has not been able to get him the ball. And I hope that changes this week. And if that changes and Montgomery breaks a couple of decent ones, we could see production break 20 points and and that would be nice. I would, I would like to see that as an end result of this game is that the bears offense produces 20 or more points. Yeah. I, I really think that that's like you said about the tight end. I think that Miller over the middle is a really good option for Daniel. So I expect him to, to do that this week. I, I expect him to find Miller. So, um, all right. So Viking blood, um, it tastes like victory. <laughs> Ah. It's uh, it's actually uh, surprisingly very good. It's very. It sounds warming. like it's right in your roundhouse. I mean, just as a as a guy that listens to the beers that you really enjoy, um, it doesn't seem that far off, right? Yeah, I mean, I've had a lot of meads. I'm actually drinking it out of a mead, uh, a glass that I got from a meadery in uh, Oregon. So I appreciate that, uh, Corvallis, my uh, one of my alma maters at Oregon State. And so they have a meadery there that I was at last time, and I got a little tiny glass that has like honeycomb on it. So, you know, appropriate, but it's like, it's good. It's, it's really good. I would, I would drink this again. It's expensive. This bottle cost me 30 bucks, which I think is kind of ridiculous. That's, it is that's a what really I paid cool for a bottle. bottle of whiskey or close, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a really cool bottle. Don't get me wrong, but it's not. Don't get me tough. wrong. That's you tough, did send but, me a picture, and I, I have to agree with you. It's a pretty cool bottle, especially considering the circumstance. But, um, yeah, I give it a thumbs up. If you're, not, if you're not worried about the money or you want to treat yourself, go ahead, drink some Viking blood. Very nice. Um, well, Dead Guy Ale I've had before. Rogue is a fantastic brewery. If you're not familiar with their offerings, they make a, a good number of beers, uh, that are critically acclaimed and have won many awards. Uh, they have a very interesting approach to making beer. They've moved into spirit making as well. Um, they now do, I think, both a vodka and a whiskey. Um, so if you're into that, check them out as well. Dead Guy is described as a box style ale with robust malt profile and a sweetness that's definitely there, balanced by the liberal use of bittering hops. Um, 6.8 by volume in terms of alcohol. It's, uh, we talked a little bit about carbonation at the top of the show, not a ton of carbonation, uh, in dead guy. Uh, it's, it's definitely malty. It's a solid beer. You'll know you're drinking it. Um, but I think it's really enjoyable. I don't think it's a great sessionable beer. I wouldn't drink, you know, three in a row, but, uh, whenever I can get my hands on that, or I can get my hands on the uh, seasonal release of double dead guy, which is basically the Imperial version of dead guy. Um, I get my hands on that as well. So big fan of rogue, uh, dead guys, a great offering. Check out their stuff if you get the chance. So thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. The pod's been doing great. The WCG pod channel has been doing fantastic as well with the other podcasts from Lester and Robert and Bill. Uh, make sure to check those out as well. Our podcast has its very own Twitter handle at bears over beers. We know it's original. We love it. Anyways, we'll try and post some pictures of the bottle art or can art, uh, that we've been drinking on there. So you can keep up with that and maybe try and find it, uh, in your local store. You can find JB on Twitter at gridironborn. You can find me at the draftsman FB. Um, and looking forward to this game across the pond until then go ahead and, bear down.